Morning. I know what you're thinking. Has he been working out since we last met? No, I'm just kidding. All right. Well, it's good to be back. It's, uh, at least partially, it's good to see people back again. You know, it's weird. Before, when I was preaching up here to n- nobody, it was kind of strange. I was thinking, man, tough crowd. Nobody laughs at my jokes. But uh, it's good to have everybody back. Okay, we're going to continue in the book of First Kings in our King series. Uh, and my brief recaps, like I was doing with our, with our broadcasts, have not changed. They're still going to be very brief. Uh, but uh, so far, we have seen Solomon become king. Uh, despite being the younger of, the, of uh, David's children, he still was the one God wanted to be king. So he became king right as David was leaving this world. And then he had to fight off a brother who was trying to steal his throne. Uh, and then we see that uh, Solomon was uh, given the opportunity to ask God for anything he wanted without limitation. And Solomon asked for wisdom. He wanted to have wisdom to be able to be a, a, a great leader of God's great people. And, and that's what he asked for. Right When he could have asked for so many other things, he wanted just that. And as we discussed, we saw how he had to deal with uh, two mothers both claiming to have the same child. We got to see him use uh, great wisdom in that, uh, in that situation, and that's kind of where we're at. It's just kind of leading us up to some bigger things that are going to happen here. But today we're going to see that the reputation for his wisdom starts to spread. People start to hear about and know about uh, his wisdom, and we'll see how God always accomplishes more with his wisdom than you ever can imagine. And, and when you're seeking his wisdom, he always gives you more, right? Because God loves to use his wisdom to build and, and maintain these eternal relationships that glorify his name. So we're going to see how that kind of happens today uh, in this. So there's a lot of reading. Let's jump right in. It's 1 Kings chapter 4, starting in verse 29. It says, Now God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment and breadth of mind like the sand that is on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the sons of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men, than Ethan, the Ezraite, uh, Heman, Calcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahol, and his fame was known in all the surrounding nations. Right? So God promised Solomon that he would give him wisdom like no one had ever seen and like no one would ever see again. And he really, really came through here. I mean, he really came through because he was so wise that his wisdom exceeded all men, and, and especially they mentioned these wise men of Egypt. Because at that time, Egypt was like considered the epicenter for learning and for wisdom. Okay, now think about it. These, these Egyptian scholars who were world-renowned at that time spent their entire lives dedicated to acquiring knowledge and wisdom. And, and up until Solomon's time, if you wanted to know, if you wanted to learn, you went to these men of Egypt. Right, But then along comes Solomon, who just had amazing wisdom just imparted on him by God himself. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, that had to get in the crawl of some of those Egyptian wise men, wouldn't you think? I mean, because they dedicated their whole life to knowing the things that they knew and being able to teach great wisdom. And then along comes this guy who says, yeah, I didn't really study much. I just asked God to make me wise, and heck, now I'm smarter than you. You know what I mean? I mean, just imagine how that made them feel, right? I mean, he just amazingly just turns up wise, right? Now, when they witnessed how he led his country and the decisions he made, they couldn't argue with it. I mean, it, his, his wisdom was just undeniable, right? Now, ironically, it's funny, we look at this and we think, wow, what would people think about just God empowering someone and giving someone wisdom like this? But you know, 
It's been happening since the beginning of time, and since the beginning of time, people have been questioning the power of God's wisdom. Since the beginning of time, they deny God's existence. They deny that God has any influence on this world or on his people. And what I think is so funny is just like they couldn't deny the evidence of Solomon's wisdom, people still can't deny the evidence of God's hand touching this world and his people. They just can't deny it because history, science, archaeology, literature, everywhere they turn to disprove the wisdom of God, they find more evidence of God's existence, even in their own writings. And it has, to, it has to get, you know, have to miff them a little bit. They have to be a little aggravated like these, like these Egyptians, right? But I'll tell you, the greatest evidence that God exists is in how he changes people's lives. Because no one has an answer for that, right? I mean, no one could understand how this man, who was probably just a spoiled kid raised in a kingdom, to be honest with you, right? All of a sudden becomes king and is wiser than everybody else, and undeniably so. Everyone who knew him before and knew him after knew that this had to be wisdom with divine origin, right? That really hasn't changed. Any of you that knew me before I was a believer and know me now, you have to admit it had to be God. Am I right? I've literally had people, you don't have to raise your hand, but thank you. Um, I've literally had people, I had a guy, one, a lady one time come to church and I was like, wow, awesome, she's here. You know, I, I went to school with her. And she comes up after church and he goes, I want to be honest with you. I just had to see if it was the same Chris Mosley. And she walked out the door and I've never seen her since. <laughs> I don't know what happened, but hey, she found out it was the same one. But anyway, the same with you. I've known a lot of you. I know what you were like before Christ and I know what you are like now. And just the evidence of what God has done in your life is so obvious, right? It's just so obvious. And, and the wisdom that comes with that life change is amazing because the ability to surrender to God's saving grace is the first sign of wisdom. The wisest thing Solomon did before he became the wisest man to ever live was surrender to God's wisdom. Look at this, Job 28, 28. You ever look at that and think Job? How many people do? There's this old preacher one time that said, I've read it all from Job to Malachi. Anyway, Job 28, 28. And to man, he said, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. All right, now the Hebrew word used here for fear doesn't mean to be afraid of. Not like fear, like being scared. That's not what this word means. It literally means a state of piety and respect toward a superior. All right, so wisdom begins when we recognize and submit to God's superior authority. That's when wisdom begins in our lives because that's when God is able to start making changes in our lives and those changes will be undeniable. So anyway, moving on, we see that the wisdom of God was just far beyond anything Solomon asked for. Let's look at this. 1 Kings chapter 4, starting in verse 32. It said, He also spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs were 1,005 I just keep seeing him like dressed like Bob Dylan when I think, I don't know why that is. But his songs are 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon, even to the hyssop that grows on the wall. He spoke also of animals and birds and creeping things and fish. Men came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Okay, so we see that he has more wisdom than he even asked for because 
he wasn't just a wise leader. He was a songwriter, okay? I don't know why I'm laughing. God forgive me. I don't know why I'm laughing. But he was a songwriter. He was a philosopher. He was a poet. I mean, he was just the all-around wisest man to ever live. And it talks about this great insight he had into creation and, 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 and nature. And people would come around just to hear him talk about fish, right? And about trees and things like that. And, and it just, I, I'm assuming that his songs reflected that. I'm assuming that his poetry reflected that. But all I keep thinking of when I, when I read about this, what would make people want to come and listen to that, is that I think Solomon looked at the things we take for granted of. I mean, we take for granted. I think he looked at nature, and he looked at creation, and he looked at the animals, and he saw the evidence of only an intelligent design that could make something so amazing yet so different. The vast difference between animal and man and between plant and animal, and he actually could see God in everything. And I, I can't imagine the amazing sermons he preached using the comparisons of how God's amazing creative authority stepped in and created everything that's in existence. It's just amazing because, I mean... Every facet where wisdom can be used, he had it, and he had it more than anyone else could have it. So he had more than he ever dreamed he would ask for. He just wanted to be a good political and judicial leader. That's all he asked for. He didn't say, make me Bob Dylan. He didn't say, make me a poet. He just said, I want to be able to lead so great a people as your people. That's what he wanted, the wisdom to lead his people, but he got more than he asked for. And the same is true for us. Likewise, you know, when we seek God's wisdom, he always gives us more than we ask for. He always gives us beyond what we want because, because only God knows how much wisdom we actually need to be successful, right? And when I say successful, he wants us all to be successful servants. I don't know if you realize this, but God wants every believer to change the world. Did you know that? It's not that he just wanted Billy Graham to do it. It's not that he just wanted D.L. Moody to do it or Charles Spurgeon to do it. Everyone who believes it's, God, it's God's hope that they will seek his wisdom and seek it to the ability to be able to do the things that these men did. He wants every last believer to change the world. And if our passion is to do anything less, we're selling ourselves short because he can do that in us. He can. He can do that in us. And Solomon's life proves that the wisest living people are the ones who trust their lives to God. Those are the wisest living people. See, God has the ability to empower anyone with the same wisdom he gave Solomon. Because I don't know, sometimes we forget that all the wisdom Solomon had really wasn't his own. It was just kind of borrowed, right? It was God's wisdom on loan to him. Right, now look at this. It says wisdom is defined as the quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment. Okay? Now as we go through Solomon's life, the good judgment part is going to be a little questionable. Right? But he had experience and he had knowledge. Here's the thing with wisdom in this world. Has anyone ever made you feel stupid when you talk about being a believer? When you talk about God, when you talk about the Bible? Has that ever happened to anybody? Yeah, it has to me. You know, and they always say things like, oh, okay. You're one of those people. You believe that, you know, there's this God that's in control of everything, you know. And, and then, then they, you know, try to nicely make you feel stupid in a condescending way. They're like, well, okay, you just keep believing that, you poor ignoramus. You know what I mean? As they walk away. Because they assume that the wisdom of the world is so much more powerful. But if wisdom is defined by the quality of having experience and knowledge, well, then it causes a problem for the world because the world only has the experience and knowledge 
of this world, of what has happened up to this point, it's limited. Right? And a lot of them, up until the internet era, the wisdom was limited to their environment, pretty much, or how much they traveled. There wasn't just an immense amount of wisdom to be had. But those of us who seek the wisdom of God seek wisdom that is as vast as eternity and as timeless as God. God will do and, 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 and act things in your life that you can't even imagine. I'll bet you there are times that God has spoke wisdom into your life and you didn't even recognize it. Seriously, I'll bet that's happened. We may say it was a gut feeling. You ever just make that decision at the last moment, you're going to go one way and something just tells you not to do that? Anybody ever done that? And, and, and you say, no, I'm not going to do that. And you make the decision and then everything goes well and people go, how did you do that? And you go, I don't know, it's a gut feeling. Is it? Is it a gut feeling? Or sometimes, you know, people say, you know what, I, I'm not going to take that road. For some reason, I just feel like I should go this way. And you find out later that there was a bad accident on that road. Has that ever happened to anybody? And then you say, oh, it's just instinct. Oh, it's instinct. Or they say, you know, I don't know, I was just driving along and I just had this epiphany to take the other road. I don't have epiphanies. I'm sorry. Listen, God speaks wisdom into our life all the time. And the reason I think he doesn't speak more is we don't recognize it when he does. A lot of times we just don't recognize when God is speaking wisdom in our life. We don't give him the credit. Because I can't tell you how often God has directed my path when I felt lost. I can't tell you how many times that's happened to me. He has directed me away from failure. And a lot of times the failure he directed me away from, I was sure was a good thing. You know, you ever had that? Oh, God, please don't take this from me. I really need this. He pulls you away from it, and you find out it was a train wreck. That's the wisdom of God. Imagine if you were seeking it, right? I can't tell you how many times he's pulled me away from, from pain and suffering, how many times he's spared me. It's, I, the, the list just goes on and on. But one I do want to share with you is when we first started this church. I almost didn't do that. I almost didn't start this church. I was 25 and a previous alcoholic. Right. And everybody that knew me remembered more of that me than the new me. Right. I'd, I've been preaching for like three years at this time. And my brother calls and says, hey, we need to start a church. And I kind of laughed. I go, really? Who's going to be the pastor? I mean, that's, that's like what I thought. And he says, well, well you, you and I will preach and, and you can pastor it. And I'm like, yeah, I, you know, I don't I don't think that's a good idea. He says, well, don't you, we've talked over and over about what we thought needed to happen in this town and some things that need to change and, and the way people think about spirituality and the way churches do some things, and this is our opportunity. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that sounds like, uh, not me. And he's like, well, pray about it. So, you know, I prayed about it because to be honest with you, I felt completely inadequate because I'll be, I'll be honest, maybe I hadn't forgiven myself for who I was yet. I hadn't totally embraced who, uh, who God had made me into I was still kind of licking my wounds from who I was and a little embarrassed, embarrassed about who I was. I felt completely inadequate. I was, I was you know, unexperienced. I didn't have any, any experience whatsoever. And, I, and to be honest, I was afraid of failing. I didn't want everybody to see me step out and do something that bold and then fail and blame God for my failure. You know what I mean? I just had all these fears. So I'm going to tell you what happened. And, and don't email me because I'm not saying every dream means something. Sometimes you just had bad sausage. <laughs> right? But I had been praying for days and weeks. And one night I was just fed up. I don't know if you've ever been there where you've prayed so long and you're like, God, why are you not answering me? Has anybody ever been there? You know, and it doesn't mean that he doesn't want to. It means he wants to get you in a position where you're ready to hear him. Because a lot of times if he answered right away, we'd ignore it because it wasn't what we wanted to hear, right? Well, I got to a point where I, I had to know. 
And I said, God, I, you know, I don't know how this works. And I, you know, I wasn't very good at praying. I said, I don't know how this works. I know you've given other people visions and dreams and stuff like that. And I, maybe you don't do that anymore. But if you do, give me something tonight because I don't know what to do. They want to move forward and I don't know what to do. And I went to bed that night and I'll never forget. I dreamed that I was in this room and it was not a church and it was full of chairs. And I was dressed up, which <laughs> you can see how long that lasted. Right? And uh, there was a phone on the table, which struck me as weird, right? And I'm standing here looking around, and I felt like it was just me and God, and, and I, I was looking for reasons not to do that. I knew he w- it was talking about starting a church, and I said, well, God, if I, if I do this, who's going to sing? Certainly it can't be me, because if you want to know I'm called to preach, let me get up here and sing. <laughs> then you'll know this is my calling. So I said, you know, who's going to sing? And this phone rings. Now it makes sense why it's here. So I pick it up because back then, you know, they had receivers. That, never mind. Anyway, so I pick it up, and someone says, are you starting a church? And I said, yeah. And they said, great, we'd love to sing for you. And I hung it up. And I looked up, and I said, so if I trust you, you'll bring the people to serve and to sing. And I said, but who's going to listen? Because that was my number one fear. And the door opened, and all these people started coming in, faces I did not know, did not recognize. And one by one, they filled every chair in the room. And I looked up and I said, if I trust you, you'll bring the people because they'll be coming to hear you. And then I woke up. And so I called my brother and said, let's do this. You know, sometimes, sometimes I think God doesn't speak wisdom into our lives because we're not ready to hear it. And sometimes he doesn't speak wisdom into our lives because we don't seek it. You know what I mean? We don't truly seek it. Solomon was truly seeking God's wisdom. And what God would show him to do, he would do. And that's why God put so much wisdom on him. Let's move on. Moving into chapter 5. Here's another thing as a side note. Listen, um, I know one thing for sure. You may say, I don't feel like God's ever spoken to me. I don't feel like I've had any dreams, and you don't have to. That's the only one I've ever had. Everything else has been dumb, like elephants on roller skates and stuff. But, but I promise you this, if you stop seeking it, you'll never get it. If you keep seeking it, you will receive his wisdom i'm just going to leave you with that now first kings chapter five it says now haram king of tyre sent his servants to solomon when he heard that they had anointed him king in place of his father for haram had always been a friend of david then solomon sent word to haram saying you know that david my father was unable to build a house for the name of the lord uh, his god because of the wars which surrounded him until the lord put them under the soles of his feet but Now the Lord, my God, has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor misfortune. Behold, I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord, my God, uh, as the Lord spoke to, uh, to David, my father, saying, Your son, whom I will set on your throne in your place, he will build the house for my name. So basically, because David was constantly at war, which, in a way, I don't know, this sounds terrible, but I kind of feel like David got slid. I know God doesn't slide anybody, so don't take me wrong. But David really did all the work, and Solomon's kind of reaping all the benefits, isn't he? You know what I mean? I mean, say it's kind of like the rich kid who inherits, you know, a huge business and then walks around talking about what a great businessman he is. I mean, Solomon, the, the peace on all sides he was just bragging about was fought and won by his dad. Right? The respect that people had for that kingdom was fought and won by his dad. Right. But because he was a bloody man, is what the scriptures will say in some areas, because he had been involved in taking so many lives and so many wars, God did not want those hands building the kingdom. 
So he basically said, your son will do it. First Chronicles 28, starting in verse 2. Then King David rose to his feet and said, listen to me, my brethren and my people. I had intended to build a permanent home for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God. So I had made preparations to build it. But God said to me, you shall not build a house for my name because you are a man of war and have shed blood. Yet the Lord, the God of Israel, chose me from all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever. For he has chosen Judah to be a leader and in the house of Judah, my father's house and among the sons of my father, he took pleasure in me to make me the king over all Israel. Of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. He said to me, your son Solomon is the one who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be a son to me, and I will be a father to him. Okay, so God told David, I, you know, listen, I've chosen you out of all your brothers. I've chosen you out of all Israel. I have given you an esteemed position. I've given you success in battle. You've been able to build the kingdom. You've been a great king, but you cannot build my house because there's been too much war and you've shed too much blood. But you are going to have a son whose name is Solomon, and I will be a, a father to him and he will be a son to me, and I want you to, to let him build this kingdom when he sits on your throne. Right? So this is basically what happened to David. So now that Solomon's this prosperous king and he knows that all this was prophesied, now he says, it's time to get busy. I'm going to go ahead and build this, this house for God that my father David wanted to build so bad. But the way he chose to build this temple is both extravagant. You're not going to believe the detail. As a matter of fact, I'm not going to read all the details to you about how he built this because I want you to stay awake. The things that he did to build this, this is going to be amazing. You'll see what I'm talking about. But he did something else different. See, and it's kind of prophetic, we will find out. But previously, every tabernacle, which was more or less a temporary place for worship, every tabernacle was, bu was built only by Jews, Jews alone. That was it. Okay, that had happened when they built every tabernacle up to this point. But Solomon's temple was going to be different because Solomon's temple was going to be built by Jews and Gentiles, Gentiles meaning just non-Jews, right? Now, at first glance, this seems like a mistake, but it really wasn't. Because Solomon, in all his wisdom, knew that this job was a very lofty project. And he knew that he did not have the means to get this done quickly or even to get this done right. Because to do it right, he needed a lot of both skilled and unskilled labor. We're talking thousands upon thousands of men. And to build it right, some of those men had to have the highest level of skill. And it just so happened that David's buddy Haram, the king of Tyre, had men in his kingdom who were known for their craftsmanship with wood. They were known for that, right? So Solomon said, you know what? I'm not going to shortchange God. I want him to have the best of the best, so I am going to seek out some of these men and some of the materials that only Tyre has because the kingdom of Tyre had the best forest with the best wood, right? The expensive stuff. And he's like, you know what? Just because I don't own it doesn't mean God doesn't deserve it. So he wants the best workers and, and, and the best materials, and he decides he's going to ask Solomon for that, right? And he was only going to recruit the best. So Solomon's decision to use Gentile labor was, was kind of groundbreaking, but it had a lot of spiritual implications that we're going to find out later. 
I mean, yes, he did it so he could get the best products. And yes, he did it so he could have the most skilled workers. But this was also something he didn't realize. This, this, ta- this temple that he was building was a picture of something greater that was about to come. Because there was another temple coming that, that was going to just make this one look like nothing. Right? Because in the future, God was going to bring another temple and that temple was going to be the bodies of his believers, right? And the high priest in that temple was going to be Jesus himself. He would be the mediator between man and God. And God would fill that temple with his presence through the Holy Spirit. That was the temple that he was looking at. And the reason Solomon's version of the temple was so much like that was the temple that God was bringing through the new covenant in Jesus Christ was not just for Jews either. It was for anyone who would accept Jesus as their Savior. That's who that temple is going to be for. See, anyone who would answer the call, as we're going to see here, Solomon offers all these people this great job to use their craft, and they accept, even though they weren't Jews. And God is going to make an offer to all who will believe so that they can become a part of God's temple too. There's so many parallels, and the the writer of Hebrews kind of does a great job explaining this. Hebrews chapter 9, starting in verse 11, says, But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things to come, he entered through a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve a living God? So the author of Hebrews says it takes the whole system of sacrifice and everything and pulls it into how Christ fulfills it, right? This is kind of a picture of what Solomon was doing. Okay, now let's move on and see how he has to make this request. First Kings chapter Five, starting in verse 6. It says, Now therefore, command that they cut me cedars from Lebanon. Now listen, the cedars from Lebanon were the best. They were super expensive, and they were abundant in the kingdom of Tyre. Right? But he says, Cut for me cedars from Lebanon, and my servants will be with your servants, and I will give you wages for your servants according to all that you say. So he basically said, I will pay your skilled people anything you want me to pay them. I mean, think about that. Not a very good negotiator on salaries. Right? He says, I'm going to pay them not a penny less than whatever you tell me to. Right? I know. Anyway, I don't get that. All you say, for you know that there is no one among us who knows how to cut timber like the Sidonians. When Haram heard the words of Solomon, he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the Lord today who has given to David a wise son over his great people. So listen, one thing you can't forget. Solomon had had the biggest, most powerful kingdom at this time. He did not have to request those materials. He did not have to request those laborers. He could have said, remember we talked a few weeks ago about the thousands of horses and chariots and thousands of horsemen and how he built this huge military? He could have stepped out and said, yeah, military, go take all the lumber that we want and take captive all those skilled workers and we're just going to bring them over here and you know what their salary is going to be? A whip on their back if they don't do what I say. That's what he could have done. He had the power and he had the means to do that. But see, he wanted to build an important alliance as well as build a temple. And that's why, did you notice he name-dropped his dad? He said, I know that you and my dad are friends, basically. He name-dropped his dad because he knew they had a good relationship. And he thought, you know, there's no reason to muddy these waters. 
There's a way that we can both come out profitable here. So he makes an offer of fair compensation for the king's materials and for all the laborers that he was going to bring in to work. So not only does he promise the king, as you'll see here, that he's going to give him all these provisions and give him all this wealth, he also promised to employ thousands of his men, his most skilled workers, and pay him whatever the king wanted. This was a win-win situation. Now let's look how Haram reacts to this offer. First Kings 5.8 says, So Haram sent word to Solomon, saying, I have heard the message which you have sent me. I will do what you desire concerning cedar and cypress timber. My servants will bring them down from Lebanon to the sea, and I will make them into rafts to go by sea to the place where you directed me. And I will have them broken up there, and you shall carry them away. You shall accomplish my desire by giving food to my household. So Haram gave Solomon as much as he desired of the cedar and cypress timber, and Solomon gave him 20,000 cores of wheat as food for his household. That's 20,000 bushels. Okay, a core is a bushel of wheat for his household, and 20 cores of beaten oil. Uh, Thus Solomon would give Haram year by year. The Lord gave wisdom to Solomon just as he promised him, and there was peace between Haram and Solomon, and the two of them made a covenant. Now, you're probably thinking, well, what what does all that have to do with anything? Have you ever heard the old saying, "You, you trap more flies with honey than vinegar? How many people have ever heard that? This is just another example of Solomon's wisdom. Yes, he could have taken everything he wanted, But Solomon, in all his wisdom, thought, I'm going to apply this concept of using honey instead of vinegar with Haram. Because it was wise to employ this method for so many reasons. First of all, it gave foreign laborers initiative to do quality work. Could you really trust guys that you beat into working for you to give you the best work they have? I mean, seriously, if someone captured you, would you be worried about making sure you made them the best precious moment figurines you could when they, you know what I mean? You'd go, and a stick man for the slave master, right? <laughs> it gave incentive for those workers to, to, I mean, to do a good job for him because he said, I'll pay him whatever you tell me, right? So first of all, it gave him incentive for the laborers. Uh, then the project, by doing it this way, both kingdoms had an interest in the people who were serving in this project. So now guess what? Not only did he have the massive armies of Solomon to protect the people building this project, but he had the armies of Tyre, too because that king was going to protect his interests. So it gave him two armies for the price of one. And here's probably the biggest thing, is that it opened the door for Israel to have a positive influence on Tyre. Because one thing that that David had and Solomon, his son, has like him, is they both had a desire to see people understand and believe in the God of Israel. And they knew that this opened a door so that people could seek a relationship with the true God of Israel by, by the kindness that he showed them. So it was really actually brilliant how he did this now i'm going to close very shortly i know they told me not to go too long it might be too late to mention that but there's something really important here and i think applies and it's important that believers use this same method today when dealing with other people i wish more believers would seek alliances than they seek conflict i I really wish that would happen and i'm not going to point any fingers okay and don't point at them either i'm not going to look up Right? But, but I really wish this would happen because having spiritual influence with people starts with having a, a friendly influence with people. Right? Listen, if people don't like you, they're probably not going to l- be too interested in the God you serve. Does that make sense? If you say, well, you know, the love I have is from God, they're going, what love? You know what I mean? You've got to have a friendly influence before you can have you know, the spiritual influence. And I just think too many believers project the wrong image to the world today. 
right? I mean, we've been going through a difficult crisis here. It did not require anybody to be intimidating. It did not require anybody to be insulting. It did not require anybody to be demeaning. You know what it required? Somebody showing inspiration instead of intimidation and showing people that God is still faithful even in the hard times. That's what this difficult situation called for. But unfortunately, believers weren't on that train as much as they should have been. And not just during this time, but during all time. Because a lot of times, listen, I don't know about you, and this sounds terrible, and you might say I'm an old fogey or whatever, but I just don't like reading Facebook much. Okay? And if you always try to contact me through, through Facebook and I never get back to you, use the same dang phone and call me. Okay, because I just don't look that much. I look at our church site, and that's about it. I even turn off the notifications for Messenger. You know why? Because it drives me nuts. Just going to be honest. Okay? And it can never be one message. It's got to be 70. You know what I mean? So, anyway, I made the mistake of reading through Facebook a few times. And uh, here's something that really bothered me. I see these Christians posting these inflammatory things on social media and, and insulting everybody just to show them what they believe in. I'm like, well, you know what? Now nobody cares what you believe in because one thing they know for sure, you're a jerk. So whatever you believe in, they're not interested in because you're a jerk. I'm going to get phone calls. I'll ignore them. Anyway, right? That's one thing I notice. And another reason that I, I, I think Christians are not using the honey idea and are using more of the vinegar is because we seem to be getting more judgmental and more condescending around people. Listen, Maybe you have forgotten who you were before Jesus, but I have not. So I rarely see someone that I think is too far gone for Jesus, because if I wasn't, they're certainly not. And since he gave me eternal life and I didn't deserve it, maybe we ought to entertain the thought that God loves them, whether you think they deserve it or not. Maybe we should entertain that thought, right? And have you noticed that sometimes we, we, we work harder trying to find reasons to exclude people than we do trying to find reasons to invite people into the body of Christ. You ever notice that? That bothers me. That really bothers me. I have people call me all the time saying, join us in this boycott, and I'm like, no. I'm not boycotting anything. Like, why? Because it show, first of all, it don't show anybody nothing. And if you're going to be fair with those boycotts, look up every product you use, not just the ones you can live without. Right? Because I'm sure all of them do something you don't like. I'm not worried about what my toilet paper company does. Okay, listen, here's the deal. Here's the deal. I never see Jesus standing outside of the Jewish synagogue going, you guys are hypocrites with a sign. <laughs> he didn't do that. I didn't see him outside the booths of the tax collector going, you guys are cheats. I'm not paying my taxes here. He didn't do that either. You know what? He took every opportunity he could get to eat with the tax collectors to try to influence the people who felt differently. And how did he try and influence them? With love, with compassion. That's how he tried to influence those people. Listen, Solomon had the power to take whatever he wanted and chose to show the love of Christ before he even knew who Christ was. To another nation, he used honey instead of vinegar, right? And look at the success he had. Listen, if we want to build God's kingdom, You'd be amazed what wisdom can build when you ask God for wisdom and have the heart to show that wisdom to others in love. And that's what we're seeing in Solomon right now, and we're seeing how powerfully that works. I'm going to go ahead and close there uh, because I think I've gone over. I'm going to go ahead and close there, and I'm going to ask if you would to please bow your heads. If this is your first time, we always like to give an invitation, and it is nice to be able to do this again. 
But if there's someone here listening online or watching online, and we still offer that, who doesn't know Jesus, listen, I'm not your judge. I'm not looking down on you, and I'm not judging you. The difference between you and me, if you haven't believed, is that I've accepted his grace, and you have not. I don't deserve it any more than you. I never will. But if you would like to have eternal life, the recipe is as simple as this. If you can believe that what Jesus did was enough to guarantee your eternal life, you'll have it. And I'll leave you with that. And if, and if you make that decision, please contact us or a good Christian organization near you. And for those of us who are believers, listen, we read through these Old Testament things and we're thinking, wow, why are we talking about what this king built and what he didn't build and how wise and how much money? Because it doesn't matter what the time frame or what the social status or who the person is, God's wisdom transforms lives in positive ways if we give it an opportunity to. And I, I'm just, I'm so excited to see all the things do, that God does through his wisdom. So as believers, let's focus more. I'm going to pray that we focus more on trying to be like Solomon and trying to reach out to those people that may disagree with us or, or may not be on the same track as us and, and, and form more alliances and less, you know, and less conflicts. Because I just don't think the time is, uh, we don't think we have much more time. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for all that you do. I, I'm, I'm amazed by your grace. I am so thankful that you can love someone like me, and I know there's no way I can ever deserve it. But I thank you, Lord, that you love me enough to send your son to die for me, not because, not because I deserve him, but because without him I would have never had an opportunity. And I just thank you that you love me despite me and that you love us all despite us. If there's someone here who doesn't know you or listening that doesn't know you or watching, Lord, whatever it is that's holding them back, remind them, God, that you didn't come so that they could prove they deserve your love. You came so that they would accept the free gift of your love. If they can make that decision, I just pray they step out today. But God, for those of us who are believers, it is so easy to get caught up in us against them. And God, there is no us against them. Lord, it's really all of us need you. Give us a passion. Give us a desire to share your love with everyone we come in contact with, no matter what we think or believe about them, so that we might enlarge the borders of your kingdom. We just thank you so much for all that you do. We ask you to go with us as we leave here and keep us safe. Uh, quickly restore us back to full operation, God. And, and, but until then, we will share your love We'll be positive, and we'll praise your name. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.